Hey, it's Danny Brown with The Deal. How you guys doing? Today's guest is my boy from college. Played ball together at USC, Jeff Jenkins. Jeff Jenkins, second all-time in SC baseball with home runs, only behind Mark McGuire. He had 40, 45 home runs. Went on to a first-round draft pick, ninth pick by the Brewers. He's in the Brewers Walk of Fame. Sorry, Brewers, my Dodgers knocked you out, but that's okay. Jeff, Jeff gets that. Uh, anyways, uh, played a long career in the major leagues, won a World Series with the Phillies. All-around great guy. Always been so down-to-earth. Such a cool, level-headed guy. Uh, again, legendary SC. People ask me what happened to my baseball career when I went to SC and I was on the bench. Well, there was nine or ten guys that made the big leagues, and we get into it. We talk about that. That team was sick, and uh, we had big leaguers sitting on the bench on that team. Uh, we lost the national championship to Fullerton. Mark Kotze, we get into that. Anyways, this is a great episode about life after baseball, life how it was in baseball, travel ball, grinding it out in the minor leagues, all that sort of stuff, all that sort of stuff. You can find Jeff at Jeffrey Jenks on Instagram or at F45Gyms. Uh, they're blowing up, and uh, he's running those in Scottsdale. Anyway, enjoy this as much as, as I, so I enjoyed it, and it's World Series week, so let's go Dodgers. Let's make this happen. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to The Deal with Danny Brown. I have a very special guest, USC baseball legend and my boy from college, Jeff Jenkins. What's up, Jank? How you doing, baby? Good, man. Thanks for having me. I should say Milwaukee Brewers legend, too. I was hoping we'd be able to chat a little Dodgers, Brewers, but, you know, you guys got swept. But, you know, maybe if they had you in the lineup, they would have lasted a little longer. You got you have to lead with that, huh? That's yeah, I have to lead <laughs> So just yep. a little background, Jenkins and I went to SC together. We played ball together under Gillespie. Rest in peace, Skip. Uh, Jenkins always been one of the greatest guys from college on. Had a solid college career, legendary career, first-round pick. Went on to the Brewers and World Series with the Phillies. Uh, we were hanging – you were at the pool a minute ago, but we had to switch <laughs> up to the Zoom. But I still saw some jerseys on the wall. Anyways, how are things going, Jenkins? Tell me what's going on these days. Man, everything's great. Just uh, like everybody, we're all trying to work through this uh, these crazy times. But um, I actually got into the, a business venture of F45 training. Uh, I opened up uh, two franchises, and we're going to open up our third in next year, probably in January. So uh, that's where I came from working out today before the meeting. And uh, it's been really fun. It's been really fun to, you know, baseball was always something I did uh, kind of naturally and had fun with it and worked hard at it. But in the afterlife, it's really rewarding, uh, especially as an athlete. You know, we hear about all these these tough stories of athletes losing all their money. But I think we I went into this franchising business, and it's been um, it's been very rewarding. Uh, it's been a learning experience, and um, but it's something that I felt was uh, you know an investment in myself to keep stay in shape. But also, I feel like I'm giving back to my community by keeping them in shape as well. So it's been real rewarding, and, and something that I've had fun doing. Right. Would you say, so the F45, just so people don't know, it's yeah. uh, from, you'll tell me more about it, but it's like a succinct 45 minute training, getting done quick. Is it also like holistic in terms of diet and health program and all of it tied together? Uh, so a- we have our trainers that we have involved. Uh, we'll do, you know, Instagram posts and different things on the nutrition part. Uh, but we do have our little 45, uh, 40, 45 minute workouts. It stands for functional 45. It's hit, it's hit training interval training you hear a lot about interval training now um so it is in that uh, genre if you will but uh it's just a real popular uh, mark Wahlberg has gotten behind the brand he's been a 
involved now for the last couple of years and really blown it up. You've probably seen a lot of that stuff and with him. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, spread, spreading across the world right now. And it, it's kind of that, that next, um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it's kind of that next orange theory ish type deal, but, um, a better workout, I believe. So let's get into the Jeff Jenkins history. For those that don't know, uh, everyone knows you as a big leaguer and this and that, but talk to me about where you grew up and at what point did baseball become something serious and something where you felt, wow, I, there's something special here. I know, uh, you had an older brother and, uh, Yep. Get to that kind of growing up playing baseball and when it went from having a little fun to, oh, wow, there I may be on a trajectory here. Well, like like any younger brother, it was pretty awesome to have an older brother that uh, broke the California state record for hits in high school. Uh, <laughs> so we, we grew up in uh, Sacramento, uh, went to a high school, Rancho Cordova. And my brother was just, he was a stud. He was all, you know, all city, all everything. Uh, ended up getting a full ride scholarship to the University of Southern California. Wait, so, um, pretty, yeah, there we go. There you go. I'm representing. I love it. I love it. So he, you know, he went there and was, ended up being a two-time All-American or whatever, and had just an awesome career, went into pro ball, but more than anything as a young kid to have that, to look up to and to emulate, uh, and to learn the, you know, the work ethic part, uh, and what, what really goes into, um, not just becoming a high school athlete, but if you have aspirations of moving on um and and the schoolwork part is a big part of it too you're not if you don't get good grades you're not going to be on the field and you're not going to be playing so um really it was just awesome to have this uh person i could watch and be like okay if i do it like that like i can move on and and play better so your question was kind of like when did i when did i know you know i think i knew i had something um when i first got to usc and we we were in the this is a great mike gillespie story so like any good, you know, coach, you, I don't call it pick on, but you choose certain guys that you can be hard on and show the rest of the team that, you know, look at, I'm treating the, the best players on the team the toughest way. And so you guys need to fall in uh, and, and, and act the same. So we go through the whole year and Gillespie's riding me, riding me. I mean, riding me hard. And to the point where about mid season, I told my dad, I'm like, gosh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish here. Like this guy is just riding me. Uh, he, he goes, son, you got to just, you know, he's probably doing it because he wants you to play better and, you know, be one of the guys and whatever. So anyway, fast forward to the end of the season, we go to, we go to play Texas uh, in the regional and I'm facing a guy, Brooks Kieschnick, um, and he's their best pitcher. And I line out with two outs in the last inning. Uh, they die, dive and catch and, and the series is over and we don't go to Omaha. But moral of the story is Gillespie comes up to me and puts his arm around me and he goes, hey, you're one of my guys now. And from that point forward, I walked on water. So it was just a, the story behind that is if you're a young kid, you got to have, there's adversity and like it, it comes at you fast. It could be in the form of a, you know, it could be a family member. It could be a coach. Uh, When you get older into professional ball, it could be a front office person, but you have to push through it. Like you can't quit and you have to have some fortitude and the ability to, you know, say, okay, this is a problem, but how do I get through this and how do I get better because of this and, and at the end of the day, become a better player? So it's a, it's a great story. It's one of the things I think that built me up and made me, made me stronger as a player. Well, I'll interject and say I knew you were a special player at SC because we, I was joking with you earlier. I always joke that you're the one that, uh, that put me into early retirement. Everyone that wondered what happened to me when I went to SC, I'm like, well – 
Jeff Jenkins was there, Jock Jones, Aaron Boone. Like first te- first day of batting practice, I think I launched one or two bombs. I'm like feeling good, and you stepped up as a freshman lefty and launched like ten in a row into the <laughs> with a launch angle that's legendary. To this day, people are trying to replicate that launch launch angle. So I remember that, and you were you know you were 17, 18 years old, hitting absolute bombs, and I I played with a lot of good players. And I had never seen that, a swing like that. And you were telling me, funny enough, when you got to the big league, everyone was telling you, you can't swing, you can't uppercut like that. Well, yeah. I mean, I, and I, by the way, I had some Hall of Fame hitting coaches. I mean, I had Rod Carew. I had Gary Matthews. I had Butch Weiniger. I had, uh, uh, gosh, I had some amazing hitting coaches. Jim Lefevre was probably the best. Anyway, but yes. And it really wasn't so much the hitting coaches but, but you're getting pressure from the top down, like, wow, he's got too much lift in his swing. And, you know, you'd roll over on a, a ground ball here or there, and you have a little top spin lob in the outfield or whatever. But now, be, with these all the analytics now, they if you hit the ball on the ground, you're out. And that's what, the, that's what they say because of the shifting and all the stuff. So they're like, they want you to hit everything in the air. And they don't care. They, they figure it has a better chance to fly out of the ballpark because of the, quote, unquote, maybe juice ball. I don't know. But, but uh so, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I was I was ahead of my time and I basically just needed to be born about 12 to 13 years later. <laughs> <laughs> well, you um, interesting enough, I was just looking it up. I knew you were high up on the record. You were only you had 45 college home runs, only second to Mark McGuire at USC. That's pretty impressive. You had 220 or 30 home runs in the big leagues. World Series champion anyway. So your bat took you a far way. Uh, I'd love to get your perspective if we now take it back to sort of being a parent, being a dad, having kids playing, seeing youth baseball. This comes up a lot as a parent myself. What is your take on these youth baseball, these travel teams, pushing kids even at the age of six and seven uh, from a big ex-big league or someone who's been at the highest level? I'd love to get your your perspective on that. Well, I think the first part of it is I think you need to remember that sports are fun, especially for the, you know, they should be fun for your whole life, let alone for the, for the youth ages. But um, I think the first thing you need to do as a parent is let your kid grow, get stronger, build muscle. Um, We've seen the things that have happened in football because of concussions and maybe just not being mature enough to deal with certain hits and all that stuff. But um, in baseball, I'm not against the travel team thing. I, I see the value in, you know, getting better competition for your son uh, or your daughter, for that matter, in softball. Um, I do see the value in that. But I think one thing that, I, that I've that i seen now that I've been in it now for a couple of years is I, I've, I've seen we've played in games. And I mean, these these coaches and parents think it's game seven of the World Series in these tournaments. And what I've come to find is you have a kid that's throwing these innings in these in these tournaments back-to-back-to-back weekends sometimes, and they're going to play uh, on these other teams midweek. And so they might be pitching more. So the kid's never going to tell you they can't do it. They're going to be like, oh, if if I'm a good pitcher, like I just want to pitch, you know. And then all of a sudden he's having Tommy John at 12 years old or 11 years old. So I just think as a parent, um, if your kid's going to be good enough, it's not going to be because they played 100 games as a youth in a travel baseball league. It will not. And by the way, it's super expensive too. So it hits the pocketbooks of these parents too. So I do think there's a happy medium of being a, on a travel team, which we I am doing now. I finally did it at 10 years old. I started doing it for justice, which I think is a really good sweet spot to get it going. 
um, mentally to be able to go through these tournaments. Um, we're in Arizona. It's a lot hotter. So to play in these two and three tournaments a month is just not very conducive to, to the athlete. Um, so to finish, I would just say play on a travel team. Don't do it too early. Let the kids be, be, let them play little league, let them have fun, make the game fun for them. And just remember as a parent, it's not about you. It's about the kid. Let sure. the kids play, let them have fun and let them grow and let it kind of be organic versus like you're forcing a, a bunch of games down their throat. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I hear that a lot from people like yourself. Hey, look, it's, you got to balance it and be careful because it could hurt the kid. And the reality is the odds of a few of those kids on the, on any team, maybe make it to college, you know, maybe one will squeak by and get drafted. Maybe. So it's like to treat it like it's game seven and to put their bodies through that uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's, yeah. Little- and that's, and by the way, and that's a great point. It, it, listen, I remember being on my, I played wiffle ball with my brother when I was, I don't know, six, five, six years old. And we would pretend, you know, we were Don Mattingly or Tony Gwynn or Fred McGriff in game five or whatever the world series. And little did I know I ended up, being in game five of the world series coming up in the, you know, to get a monster hit for my team and we end up winning a world series. So that when I say all that stuff, it's not to like break down the dreams of a young kid trying to be a major league baseball player, or for that matter, get going to college. It's more about just having some perspective about how to get there um, and not, and not making the dream about yourself versus your child. So that, I think that's more what I'm speaking to versus I'm not trying to say like, Oh my God, there's, you have zero chance to go on and play baseball. I'm just saying, do it the correct way. Yeah, good point. All right, so let me rewind a little and get back into your baseball career. You were drafted first round out of SC, ninth pick. Oof, lost the national championship. That was painful. That mm. hurt. Bulletin. God damn. I, oh. Well, I, and I'll give you a if you want a great story about that. So it still hurts. We are playing, we're playing Fullerton. It was, it was crushing them all. I know. Well, we, we, we have a meeting before the game. We're playing Fullerton and they have this, this decent player, Mark Kotze. Um, yeah. So he was their all world player and he, he was their closer as well. And so before the game, Gillespie is going down the line of the pitchers. We do not pitch to Mark Kotze. We drill him. We pitch around him. We, you know, whatever we don't, this guy will not beat us today. First inning bomb. bomb. Right. Right. Third inning bomb. I'm like, what happened? To was I not in the room? <laughs> I mean, gotta so, just grab content, man. Jesus Christ, that guy was a beast. I know, and, and they oh. end up clo- closing the game down on us too. But it uh, it sucked because you know we had Gillespie knew exactly what he wanted to do. It was like Belichick trying to shut down the, the best receiver yeah. on the team, you know, and um, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. We just didn't execute, and for a team that basically executed everything all precisely year. all year so you know at the end of the day tip your cap to Kotze he's just, he was an awesome player he won the golden spikes you know that year so yeah but think of that team uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that team that year at SC the guys that were there with Booney and you know, on and on and on I well mean, that, that actually Booney left the year before he wasn't good enough to be on our team that year right. <laughs> he had to leave but off that final team in in uh 95 uh, we had we had nine guys go on to play in the big leagues from that team. Matter of fact, Morgan Ensberg couldn't even play; he was on the bench. 
We had Bobby Kilty on the bench at SC. People asked yeah. why. <laughs> Bobby Kilty. Bobby Kilty was in the bullpen. Yeah. Remember? Um, but we had Randy Flores. He was on the bench on that team. Yeah, we, Flores, Seth Etherton, Brian Cooper, myself, um, Gabe. Gabe Alvarez. Um, Gabe, Jock. Um, Jones. I mean, I don't know. It's like an all-star. Moeller, Chad Moeller. God. I mean, it was it was like murder's row, right? So, um, I didn't have just, a chance. I didn't have a chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have gone to some Delaware state or somewhere small where I could have batted fourth and launch angled myself. <laughs> should have gone to Colorado College or something. So, tell me, this is what I want to get at. You go coming through a big time USC college program, playing in the pack. Well, Pac-12 now with all the facilities, all the training, the parties, the fun, the girl. Now you get drafted, even though you're a first rounder, which means you're elite and you get a bonus. You are going on to play in the minor leagues. No one in baseball goes to the big leagues. So what was the minor league experience like for those kids and those people that have this dream? What's the reality check of the grueling grind of minor league life? Well, I think, I think grueling is probably the correct word. Um, we, I got drafted and I was, uh, took a little bit to sign, but when I went, I went to Helena, Montana, and I'm not sure if you've ever been to Helena, Montana, but there's not, not a whole lot going on. And, um, so at the stadium, I'll never forget. I was, I was hitting and my first at bat at night game and there's like three light, three light bulbs in the light standards. And we, I mean, we have, triple the better lights at USC than this yeah. field does. And we're, this is like, they're trying to train for major league athletes. And this is, but that's part of the perseverance is, you know, are you going to, you going to sit there and complain or are you going to just be like, okay, I got to deal with this like everyone else. And I got to get through it and I got to move on. But I will tell you this every day I woke up, I was like, I got to get the heck out of here. I got to, I got to get to the next stadium. So I get better lights. I get better food. I get better pay. <laughs> so, so walk me through. Where'd you go next? Where was single at? That was rookie ball, and where was? Yeah, so I got lucky. Actually, only I I only played in Helena, I believe, for two weeks, and they they had a, they probably just planned to get me get my feet wet, and then I went to Stockton. Um, so I played luck. in Stockton the rest of the year, and then they brought me up, I believe, for the playoffs in Double A. So I kind of hit three levels in that first year, and then went went back to Double A the next year, and then the Triple A the next year. Um, so I went, uh, let's see, I went Helena, Stockton, El Paso, back to El Paso, I believe. Then I got to Louisville, uh, sorry, to Tucson. And then the f- next year I went to Louisville for the first six weeks and then I got called up. Nice. So what was yeah. that like getting called up? You were, what, 21, 22? No, you, you were probably. I, your- was, I was actually 20 when I signed because I remember having my 21st birthday and I might have got overserved a little bit in Helena by my teammates, and I I woke up with some shaving cream on my hand. So, yeah, in the in the training room because I was Tommy. Tommy needs sleepy, buddy. Buddy. So you get called up. You get called up with the big club, the Brewers. You end up playing there for what nine, ten years, and then Phillies. What, any fun stories or lessons that stand out uh, through um, your time with the Brewers? Maybe as a rookie or any time, just. Any fun stories you could share? What it's like being a rookie big leaguer and get getting to the show? What's that really like? Yeah, so I think I think one of the, the biggest lessons about becoming a major leaguer is you find out real fast. And I, I talked to all my young young kids about it 
um, not just on my team, but just anybody that talks to me about baseball, um, about the, the having a routine, um, any, anything in life, like and it doesn't matter what walk of life you're in. Everybody's got a routine and that goes from the time you wake up until the time you go to sleep and being a major leaguer because of how many games you play, um, you have to have this routine and because, and routine adds structure. And if you have structure, you have consistency. And if you have consistency, you put up statistics. And if you have statistics, you're getting, you're playing every day and you're going to be part of the team for a long time. So I think at the core basis of every great player, if you sat them down and you just said, Hey, uh, John, what's your routine? I mean, they'd go boom. Right. Um, from the time you get to the field and you eat to you go to look at video, you go hit in the cage, batting practice, you're doing the crossword or playing a game, you're stretching, you're phone rolling, you're, and then all the way through um, the early part of the game when you're running your sprints. Um, and then you just, and then you just go be an athlete and you play the game and you let the chips fall because you've now, you've had all your preparation, your routine has set you for success. And then you just go do it. Um, doesn't mean it's going to happen every night. You go out there and you strike out five times off Verlander and get no hit like we did, or, um, you know, or you can go, you know, five for five with two homers off guys. So it, but what you do is the consistency on the daily basis comes from routine. And I think that if you could teach everybody about that, the young kids, um, it sets them up for success. Yeah. That's a wonderful, wonderful theme. We talk about that a lot on this, the routines and structures of successful people in any walk of life. It's very easy to visualize athletes and their routines, but you, it's that preparation for whatever you're going to do in life. Doesn't matter if you're a school teacher, real estate agent, athlete, finance, doctor, preparing from the moment you wake up all day long and it sets you up. It's the foundation for, for success. And it, again, yes. like it doesn't mean you're going to succeed. I mean, as you know, you're going to fail 70% of the time if you're a hall of famer in baseball, but in life in general, you got to be able to deal with, failure and rejection and be strong and have mental toughness. And that's kind of why I'm walking through your career with the mental grind of being through the minor leagues and even going through being a freshman at SC and getting beat up by Gillespie and all these, these lessons. And you get to the big league and you're saying it's really about your routine. There's so much chaos and so much stuff that could be, you could focus on, but if you keep it simple, it all starts there and it builds your foundation and, I love, I love hearing that. So your routine got you through. Tell me, um, tell us a little bit about that World Series with the Phillies. You came up with a huge, a huge hit when you uh, you moved on to the Phillies after eight or nine, ten years, something like that. Remind me what? Yeah, so I was in Milwaukee. I, I signed actually in '95, and I played two and a half years, I think, in the minors, and then ten years in the big leagues with them, and then um, became a free agent and it was actually going to be between San Diego and, and Philly and San Diego actually offered me a two-year deal or sorry, a, a larger one-year deal. And Philly offered me a smaller two-year deal. But when I looked at the, I mean, the lineup, I was like, man, you know, I probably, I'm probably not going to play as much in Philly, but at this point in my career, I'm like, man, I, yeah. Do I want to play play every day? Of course I do, but I want to win it. I want to win. Like I want to, I've, I've been a part of these hundred lost teams in Milwaukee and those, those take a toll on you, especially when you're the guy that's having to talk to the media every day and give them the co company line, like, yeah, we're working hard. Yeah, we're <laughs> – and, and it's just – Toughness, again, I mean, talk about dealing with failure and rejection. That And being on a team that's losing, it, it's as tough as it gets. Big time. Uh, and it, it, it definitely – 
Yeah, no, definitely. It, it, it definitely eats at you. Um, and because you do want to win and you feel like, you know, you're getting paid, you know, salary to do a job. And, and, you know, when you, you know, eventually when the fans start booing and they're just, they're not happy, you're not happy. You're not sleeping well. Food doesn't taste as good. The flights aren't as good. Everything about it is just about the job. And I know that sounds funny because everybody that listens is like, well, you're a major leaguer. Like there's no way it's gotta be fun every day. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely fun every day, except when you're losing. Um, because we have, we, we have feelings too. And we, we want to win. Yeah. So, so going back to the decision of going to Philly for me, it was, it was pretty easy when I looked at, I looked at the lineup. I'm like, wow, Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, Ryan Howard. I mean, then we signed Pedro Feliz and myself free agent. We got Jason Worth, Shane Victorino, Pat Burrell, and, and, and Ruiz behind the plate. Uh, Chooch Ruiz was, was just an amazing hitter for us as well. So, Stack. I was oh, stacked, dude. It was, it was launch angle galore. Everybody was just jacking the ball. <laughs> yeah, and and I'll tell you what, it, that that is a tough place to play because we clinched the division, uh, the East, with like nine or ten games to go, and two days later we give the we give the regulars a day off, and then the next day Ryan Howard hit like forty three homers and drove in like a hundred and. 30 RBIs and he struck out five times in the game. This is after clinching the division and the Philly fans are booing him relentlessly. Oh God. The division is we're going to the playoffs. So what you get, it's a tough, tough town, but I'll tell you what, going through that whole process of, you know, um, for myself, this is a great life lesson too. I was a, I was an everyday player my whole career. I, I platoon with Jason worth and right field. And, we had such a great relationship. You know, I'd, I'd play against the lefties. He'd play against the righties. Then toward the end of the season, I'm facing Greg Maddox with about a month, month, five weeks left in the season. And I hit a little dribbler uh, back to the mound and I'm going as hard as I can. And I kind of tweak my groin. So I got to go on the DL with five weeks left. And that's, you know, a couple weeks on the DL. So while I was on the DL, Jason was just, just hitting. So, I mean, amazing. I mean, he's just stealing bases, hitting homers, doubles. He's probably almost the best player on the team during the, during the period. So Charlie Manuel calls me in the office and says, uh, Hey son, uh, you know, this, uh, worth, he's, uh, he's playing pretty good. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I might, I might need to play, play him more. And I go, well, Hey Chuck, I, I've had my run. I want to be here for the team and, you know, just know that I'm ready, but I'm, listen, if that's best for the team, then by all means, he's playing his butt off, like let him play. So, and that was a really tough thing for me to do because you know, your, your ego is like, God, I'm good enough. Like I'm fine. Like I'm coming off the DL, but, but he was playing that good. And it was just, I mentally felt like it was the right thing to do at the right time. So we go in, go to the postseason, and I'm, I'm on the bench, on the bench, on the bench. He's playing all the time. And I'm, you know, I've been cheerleader on the bench. We had, we had the best time ever. Um, Broxton hitting the Homer off uh, stairs, hitting the Homer off Broxton to, for us to basically go to the world series. Um, and so I just, uh, I had a lot of fun taking on that role, but the best part and the most rewarding part was when I finally got my chance and I came through in game five of the world series with that double. If you if you ever see the highlight, <clears throat> I mean, I just go, I go nuts. And it, I want to hear. Walk us through that. You've been, like you said, being a cheerleader for the first time in your career, for sitting there, and now it's the World Series. Walk us through that game and that moment. I want to hear. So, if you ever watched that 2008 series, we had a, a 48, well, almost a 72 hour rain delay, 
and they postponed the they didn't postpone the game. They basically stopped it at one to one. The Rays tied it in the sixth inning. So we're coming to bat in the bottom of the sixth, three almost three days later. Three days so, later. Three days later, and it's the pitcher spots up. So they're going to pinch hit one of us lefties, and it was me, Greg Dobbs, or Matt Stairs, and Charlie didn't tell us throughout the whole three days. And so I mean, we're taking like thousands of swings. Like this, this is this is what you've worked your whole life for. This one bat. So finally, 10 minutes before the game, Charlie comes up, comes up to me, goes, all right, son, you hit, let's go. And so I'm, I go on deck and, and I, I just kind of like, I'm taking it all in. I mean, you've got basically 50,000 people waving these white hankies and it's like, oh my gosh, this is the, everything you did from day one, when you started playing football all the way up till now is like, here it is. Here's your moment. And I'm shaking in my shaking in my cleats. I'm like, I'm not like scared, but I'm nervous scared. And Jimmy Rollins is out there on deck, our leadoff guy. And he just he can see something, you know, he's just like like I he like I needed a calming sense. And Jimmy goes, Hey man, just relax and go back to Little League right now. Relax. Wow. Go have fun. Seriously, that those were his exact words. And something this calmness came about me that I just was like, let's go. And so I go up there, hit a three, 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 one, three, two pitch off a of ground ball four into the gap, get on second base. Jimmy bunts me over worth singles me in. And we end up going on to victory celebrating, but just a, just an awesome story of like, Hey, you were the guy. And so that's a great lesson for all these young kids. Like, Hey, sometimes you're the guy and sometimes you're not the guy, but that doesn't mean you change who you are as a player. You still have to be the same good teammate and just wait for your opportunity and come through. Just as important. And especially how that translates into succeeding in life after baseball. It's not, you know, you got to be a good teammate. You got to be able to deal with that adversity. And that is such a, such a great example of you playing a role that you never played your whole career. You were never on the bench behind anybody. And yeah. now here's your opportunity. We're going to put you back in on the biggest stage of the biggest possible stage in the world on the world series. And here you go. And, you know, and then the, the Jimmy Rollins keeping the mental, keeping you calm mentally, just that little word of advice. I mean, these are just such great nuggets and lessons in life. Uh, I love it. So you've now been retired. Uh, tell me a little bit about, and you, you could go back to your career, but even now, life as a dad, as a husband, as a businessman, as a player, how do you balance it all? We love talking to people about trying to do it all and it's impossible to do it all at all the time, yeah. but how do you balance it? What is your, what is your perspective on that? Well, I'll tell you what, the first like couple of years out of the game, uh, out of any sport, and you, you talk to ex-athletes is the toughest because, right. um, you know, there's just very few guys that have a platform, have something set up for them um, to get going on something else. And, and I will say you go through a period of time where you're like, Oh gosh, what do I, Oh my God. And it, when the music stops, it's like, it stops and it's, it's, it's like immediate and you're like, Oh my gosh. So my routine's gone. That, that, that whole thing's done. So I think the first thing you have to do is find out kind of like, God, can you find a, find a passion in something, something you really like to do and take the money out of the equation. Unless of course, you, you know, money needs to be a part of the equation. If you can take that out where you don't need to make top dollar or something and you just get to do something you really love, find that. So I was really struggling with that. I was going to open up a baseball facility and do all these things, but it just really never came to came about that that was something I, I really got into. I would help kids on the side, but um, so finally I started, I was working out this and that, and I found this F45 concept yeah. and that's where it really kind of 
you know, as a baseball player, we always had trainers and we never went to a big box gym and like did three sets of that or two sets of that. You were told like, go do that. So for me, it was perfect to show up at this facility, 45 minute workout in and out, get your workout done. And then one day we just decided to invest in it. And it's been very um, eye opening to run a business, but at the same time from learning from some little mistakes um, from everything from the build out to hiring and all this other stuff. But now because we do have some structure set up for it and it is, it is kind of running, running itself now. It's um, it's been really rewarding to say like, wow, I did something different in life. And, and in a weird way, it's, it's more rewarding um, because it's just something different. It was outside my comfort zone and something that I never thought I would be able to do or be successful in is run a business or have something like a, a you know, a training facility. So um, I would say the most important thing is for the ex athlete to find something you really like doing. Um, and it could be whatever you did, if you went to college and whatever you, your major was, and you know, whether it's communications or business or whatever you may be doing, you go off into broadcasting, you go off and doing whatever, but find something you really like doing and, and, and just kind of make sure you do do something because I sat around the house for a while and I was like, all right, I'm playing fantasy football and doing all these other things. And, and it just, you gotta have, a, there has to be something that, you know, when you, when you meet with people, you're like, you can put your name on something. Um, and it is, you can obviously say that you're a baseball player, an ex baseball player, but to be able to say you're doing something else, people have great respect for that. The fact that you're grinding and trying to do something else. Yeah. Amazing. So I mean, life after baseball is after any sport is such a big transition. Uh, you hear that a lot. Uh, but what, what people do also say is that you bring the lessons with you, the mindset, the routine, all these things we've talked about are, are what translates into having a productive, successful life, whether it's any business or parenting or all of it, because it's a lot. I know going through the parenting uh, craziness of what we're doing, especially now with Zoom school, uh, it's it's challenging. So we got to rely on these lessons, these lessons we've learned along the way. Well, look, you've been awesome sharing some time with us. It's so good to see you. But any other fun stories or, uh, you know, nuggets of wisdom you want to share with us? And, you know, next time, maybe we'll get your boy Boogie on here too. talk about oh, be, that. That would be awesome. Yeah, I can, I can, I can zoom, zoom bomb him. But yeah, no, I would just say, um, just kind of piggyback on what you're talking about with the children. You know, my kids didn't really get to see me play. Uh, they were born. Uh, matter of fact, Justice, that was another story. Justice was actually born the, the night before we beat the Dodgers to go to the World Series, believe it or not, in Huntington Hospital. My wife went to labor after we were walking around SC for the day. So that was a different story. But what I would say is it is hard as an ex-athlete and as a dad to, like, if, if my kids watched me play baseball and they saw me break bones and they saw me bleed and they saw me sweat and they saw me have long days and they saw me have slumps and they saw me have success and they saw all these, like, recurring things happen they could apply that to you know moving forward now through middle school and eventually through high school but I don't have the luxury of I can show them highlights and this and that but they never saw me put the time in and the work and how how hard I really worked on it so that's the other thing about having something else that I'm doing I come home and I'm sweating and I'm I don't know I'm I'm trying to show them that you know life is going to throw you curveballs and change-ups and you can't just walk through it. It's nobody's going to give you anything. You have to take it in life and you have to go out and work your tail off. And, and you know, if you work harder than the person next to you, then you should have a, I mean, you should do better and have a better lifestyle. I mean, that's at the core of everything. That's, that's what we're working for is we want a better life and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I try to talk to them about being leaders instead of followers. Um, in school, you have all these kids that want to cause trouble and this and that, and you have to make decisions 
about leading and pulling your friends away from that, or you can follow and make bad decisions. And so as a parent, those are the toughest things. Being a parent is tougher than any baseball game I've ever played. In. And it's, and it, especially right now with the homeschooling, it just sucks. So yeah, it's bad. So that I would say that that's probably one of the biggest life lessons that I'm currently going through right now is how can I make my kids understand that they got to have routine and they have to grind when they, they just see me at the house all the time. You know, it's just, it's, it's tough. It is tough. And I think uh, that's another thing we always talk about. You know, we I interview and discuss people that are successful in life, but the hard work, you know, no one sees the hard work, you know, no one sees, the, the bloody hands, the, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of swings and the running and the summer heat, no one sees all that. And I think that's an important thing that if you're not going to put in that work and that effort, then you can't expect to be elite at anything you do. Uh, yeah. you know, you've got to grind, you got to be mentally tough and you got to put in day to day work day to day to day. And a little bit improvement, a little bit every day is what I always try to tell, tell my kids. And it's very hard today in this, era of zoom and video games and tech and you know it's a hard thing to try to coach and parent and you know it's it's a it's different you know it's a different time and you know it is what it is we as parents have to evolve with the times and figure out an angle to get through to these kids and to try to teach them the basic fundamentals because the values and the fundamentals of life remain the same doesn't matter if you're in the tech age or you're in the industrial age, you know working hard routines discipline mental toughness those things are foolproof that's what it takes exactly so, you touched on a lot of these things well i appreciate anything, it man anything else you want to uh give a shout out to anybody there <laughs> you know Talk what i uh SC was such a great place to play, you know, just kind of finishing on that. I, you know, coach Gillespie was such an amazing person. Um, and he was such an influential person in, in my life. And I, I call him, uh, you know, other than my father and my brother and mother, whatever, but, uh, you know, he, he probably was the most important coach in my life. Um, there may have been a coach that helped me, um, uh, with my swing or a little bit, this or that, a little bit more, but as far as learning how to become a man, uh, and going from a boy to a man, and that basically most college situations do that for, to a high school kid. But I'm just saying I for, the time and, for the time and place for the person that he was and for what he did for me uh, mentally uh, and just overall, just almost being kind of a dad away from, from home. Um, I just, it almost, it makes me emotional because I, he, he's just such an awesome dude and I, I really miss him. And um, he just gave so much to the uh, collegiate level. Um, it's, uh, you know, we, we lost a great one. He really is special. He really did groom a lot of us, a lot of leaders, a lot of successful people and all the things we're talking about, you know, he was pushing all that. I had felt the same way about Gillespie and for me, Frank Cruz, cause I had that starting in high school and it sort of just went all the way through it. The lessons I've learned from, uh, yeah, from those guys are that you take them, you take it for the rest of your life. And yeah, they're grateful for that. But that's a wonderful way to end, man. It's always good to see you. Next time I'm in Arizona, I'd like to jump in that pool. You come yeah. anytime you're in the pools, you got to come see your boy. <laughs> I love it, man. I appreciate the time. I mean, thanks for having me, man. It's a, it was yeah. really great catching up and let's do it again. Do it again soon. Get your boy Booney and whoever else, and we'll, we'll get them all on. We'll have some good SC stories to tell. <laughs> all right. All right.
Thanks. Great to see you, man. Fight on, Fight baby. On, man. Fight on, baby. Talk to you soon, brother. Hey, I got to thank my boy Jenks, Jeff Jenkins, such a cool dude, for stopping by, chopping it up, giving us the breakdown of what's really going on in World Series week. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can always find us at The Deal Pod on Instagram or thedealpod.com. Please give us a five-star review and a comment. Each one helps tremendously, so we really appreciate it. Season 3 is off with a boom, and again, thanks, Mike. My boy, SC boy, Jeff Jenkins, for, for coming in and uh, look forward to more episodes coming soon. Go Dodgers! I am what I am today.